From the moment that I met Jay, he taught me to do what I love, but it took me four years to do what I actually love. And you might think I'm a dumbass, but the problem was that I didn't understand what do what you love really meant. And most people don't either. So today, Jay's going to explain exactly what do what you love means. And since most people are people pleasers, you'll especially love number four, where we're going to find out why people pleasing is keeping us from doing what we love. So Jay, can you please explain what do what you love actually means? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I'd love more people to ask it. And before I answer, I'd just like to point out that four and a half years isn't bad to get the hang of doing what you love. It takes most people a lifetime. And it's just like any skill. How long would it take you to learn a new skill from super confused, I don't know what this is, to quite good at it? I mean, a few years probably. Yeah, exactly. So not bad. As for what it is, when I say do what you love, you think most people get it? They know exactly what we're talking about? I think there's a large majority of people who don't know what their purpose is and what they're here for. Um, They don't really know what they love. And if they think about it, the knee jerk is like, oh, I like Netflix and to be quiet and my kids to be happy or whatever. Like, I don't think they really know deep the juiciness of what that means. No. Yeah, sure. They might not deeply know what they love. But what we love changes every second, every millisecond. It doesn't always change, but it can change very quickly. Right. You could be cold and love being warm and then quickly love being cold again. You could be bored and then love getting engaged and then be overwhelmed and then wish you were bored again. Yeah. So what we love changes often. And it's kind of like breathing or walking or eating or whatever. It's something that needs to be done over and over and practiced until you really, really get the hang of it. And even then, you can never really let go. If an earthquake happens, we really have to watch our balance. Or if someone bumps into us, we have to readjust our balance. Our balance muscles are constantly working, even if the floor changes slope. If we're eating well, that's fine. But if we change our activity level, we might need to curb our eating a little bit to match, or we might need to listen to our body and eat differently from our our metabolism. Or if we're sick or ill or something, we might need to adjust our diet or whatever. All of these things are the backbone of living, right? Walking, eating, breathing, stuff like this. And they all need to be done reasonably well, especially in the beginning, but still forever over life. And doing what we love is the same. Does it make sense that doing what you love is like a one-off thing? Oh, I found out that I love woodworking. I'm a woodworker forever. And now I don't have to worry about doing what I love. No. Right. Even people who have their careers of a lifetime or their relationship of a lifetime still need to practice doing what they love. Yeah, because it's not necessarily one particular thing. It's from what I understand what you're saying. It's the difference between when your phone rings, I don't want to talk to this person who's calling me. I would rather go read a book. Yeah. Well, then do what you love. What you love. Yeah. Someone invited me to this funeral. I don't want to go. But for another person, it might be someone invited me to this funeral. I really want to show up for them. And it's like, well, whatever. Each person is different, but they both got to do what they love. For one person, the baller choice is to skip the funeral and do what they love. For the other person, the baller choice is to get dressed, get off the couch and go to the funeral because that's what they love. Some people love relationships and connections. Some people love freedom and doing what they want to do. Some people do too much of either one. Doing what you love is self-correcting. When we were babies, we all did what we loved. 
And didn't all of us touch something extra hot? Yeah. Why would we all touch something extra hot? We have parents and grandparents, everyone trying to keep us away from them, tell us not to do it, whatever. It's going to hurt, yada, yada, yada. And yet something deep in our soul is like, touch the hot thing. And it's getting hotter as your hand moves closer. Yeah. You're like, oh, well. See what happens. Yeah. That's what we do it. Well, sure. But our soul deep down knows this is a beneficial thing. Yeah. We want to see what happens because we need to know, like, is this a good thing for us? Are we, are we going to love this thing? Maybe we like hot. Maybe we like the feel. We don't know. Maybe we like the feeling of being burned. We have no idea at that point because we've never been burned. So we we reach out and, oh, it feels warm. It feels toasty. Oh, that's nice. That's a little, ow. So we learn this and we learn what we love by doing it or getting hurt or failing. Do what you love is self-correcting. You can follow your impulses in your heart and your gut, and it will lead you to an awesome thing. But that doesn't mean there'll be no pain anywhere ever. Right. A lot of people think doing what they love means just never having pain or discomfort or unease or whatever. Like, no, that's living in some weird bubble. That's not what you came to earth to do. Nobody loves that. But that's not doing what you love. That could never be doing what you love. What? Right. It's to go out there and experience life. And that's going to involve some foibles and quirks and failures and setbacks and obstacles and pains and challenges. Right. Yeah. And that's what makes you a better person, a better character. As a baby, you knew this. You need to have some tumbles and some some hot stoves and whatnot to become the real you, to become the robust version of you. Yeah. So there you go. A lot of times doing what we love is doing the thing that brings the discomfort. Yeah, that's that's very true. And so many of us are we wanna avoid the discomfort and so we avoid everything because we don't want to feel pain or discomfort in any way. And, and this keeps us from doing what we love and being happy. Yeah, it happened to me just before we filmed. Yeah. So is doing what we love a skill that must be practiced over and over the same way eating and walking and so on is? Yes. Yeah, it has to be. Right. Because you don't know what you're going to like until you do it. Oh, good. And is doing what we love more likely to involve a bit of discomfort or challenge or mistakes or less likely to involve that? More likely. Right. And is doing what we love a moment-to-moment thing that can change on a dime? Yes. Right. So if I'm thirsty right now and I get an impulse, you know, a drink would be nice. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not a giant neon sign that says, do what you love, have a drink. It's just (laughs) a little, man, I would, you know, I'd really like a drink. Yeah. I now have a choice in this millisecond. What is my choice? To get a drink or not. Exactly. And what do most people choose? Not. Right. But what does someone who, who does what they love choose? Oh, they get the drink. So it may seem like a silly thing talking about being thirsty and getting a drink, but that's where it starts. If you want to be good at doing what you love, where you're doing the career you love and the relationship you love and every hobby and every day is full of things you love, you got to start with the little things. You don't get to do a Harlem Globetrotter superstar trick shot until you learn how to dribble. True. And there's a lot of practice in between the, the two. Mm-hmm. And you've got to start with learning to dribble and dribbling a bit more and then dribbling through the legs and then and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, same for doing what you love. You've got to do what you love in the tiny moments if you ever want to get to the big, awesome magic of doing what you love. Mm-hmm. So do you work when you feel that impulse? Do you help people? Do you do the things that fulfill you? Do you practice your passions and hobbies? Do you prioritize them? Do you set boundaries? Do you stand for what you love? You stand up for yourself. Like all these little things throughout the day, all these tiny moments, that's where the practice starts. And so a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you know, do what you love and I'll do what I love and I totally do what I love or whatever. It's like, I I see you, man. 
you ignore every little call from your heart. You don't even get a drink when you're thirsty. You keep doom scrolling. So I've been there. I did it too. I spent lots of time ignoring what it was because, well, one, I wasn't clear on what I loved exactly. And two, I had a lot of anxiety and fear about myself that wouldn't even allow me to do the things I love when I figured it out. Well, you raise an amazing point because that's the beauty of doing what you love. You can always do it. There is yeah. zero thing that can stop you from it. Now, if you have anxiety or depression, what you love might change. Like what you love might be, I wish I was pissed off enough to get out of bed. Yeah, It's like, that's not huge and it's not great and people might judge it. But if that's what you love, you can get yourself pissed off enough to get out of bed. Yeah. But you can follow that impulse. You can do what you love, no matter if you're in the depths of despair or you're neutral or you're already living life or whatever. Right. You can always inch towards the thing you love. It's always calling us. If you're cold, you can inch towards warmth. You can snuggle up. You can put another blanket. You can grab another hoodie. You can whatever. Practice Wim Hof breathing, something. Right. There's something you can do. And even if you can't do anything, you can make a promise to yourself. The next time this situation happens, I am going to do better. Or I am going to get warm or I am going to be prepared or whatever it is. Right. And even that is making a baller choice and it moving towards what you love and doing what you love. Or like, okay, I'm not getting out of bed today, but I 100% am doing it tomorrow, no matter what or whatever. Or I'm going to research some stuff that helped me do it tomorrow. Or I'm going to whatever. Everyone has their own individual calling, their own individual impulses of what they love. And we can either move towards them or move away from them every single time. Agreed. And also, I want to add to real quick that that first thought that we have, this is our inner being, who we are, that's telling us to do something. It's the voices after that, like all afterwards, those are the ones, that's you. That's you keeping you from doing that thing. So yes, that that is very common. But we have to be careful because some people have like schizophrenia or whatever. And the first voice is not quite <laughs> the right voice. And okay. it's like, we don't want to get involved in like lawsuits and all that. But what if I can clear it up though. Because none of us ever have to immediately obey the voices in our heads. No. There's always a moment between our action and what the voice said. It's not like the voice instantly moves your hands and stuff. It's a voice. Mm -hmm. And so we can always stop to analyze or sit with the voice and vibe it out and feel it out. Like, which voice is this? Is this a correct voice that will help me and serve me? Will benefit humanity? Is part of my calling? Or is this a terrible voice or a confused voice or an old protecting voice or whatever? We can all ask ourselves, what voice is this? Usually, like you said, it's that first initial voice is the reliable one. Right. But if someone feels like maybe it's not in their case, you can still figure it out for yourself. That's part of doing what we love. We can follow the voice we love. Yeah. We can remove the voice we love. I'm just thinking about all the overthinkers out there because I, I was like that too. I would get that urge to go paint and then, well, but I have to wash dishes and uh, I have to prepare lesson plans for next week and I have to do laundry. And I'm like this voice of telling me, you know, painting isn't important. And all of those voices after the initial feeling or thinking that I wanted to paint were the ones that were really just trying to drag me down and keep me in my comfort zone because it's easier for me to be unhappy and miserable in my comfort zone than get up and paint and do something that I really wanted to do. So Yeah, well, that's a perfect segue into some of the future questions. So yeah. love it. Yay. All right. Well, so I heard you all the times you told me to do what I love, right? But it felt so hard. And I thought, well, if I really love this thing, it wouldn't feel hard. So why does sometimes doing what I love 
feel difficult? Another great question. And I'd like to ask you, have you ever gone to pick up a piece of furniture and it's surprisingly much heavier than you expected and you're left thinking, I can't lift this or this is impossible or I'm going to need help or something? Yes. Right. So this is what happens with doing what we love. Most people have weak intuition muscles. Like all muscles, your intuition muscles need what? Use. Yeah. Practice. Yeah. Exercise. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be challenged, especially if you want them to develop into strong ones. Yeah. So for some people who already find it hard enough to get a drink when they're thirsty, how are they going to handle some of life's bigger choices? How are they going to listen to their heart and do what they love when they're deciding whether or not to be homeless? I chose to be homeless. But it took me a long time to listen to my heart. Year after year, decade after decade, whatever, I was on the edge of homelessness. It was pushing me towards it. And I never pulled the trigger until one day, like I just gave in, like, fine, whatever. The only reason I could do that is because I had lots of practice and exercise with my intuition muscles on the little things. I learned to speak my boundaries and my truth when someone was stepping over them. If I can handle confrontation with this person, that's a good sign. If I can put my foot down with my parents and say, I, I'm either having it my way or I'm going to move out, this is even more baller. Like now I'm really doing what I love, no matter the consequences. If I can do those two things, maybe I can embrace homelessness when it keeps knocking at my door, right. right? This is someone who's strengthened their intuition muscles and then they can do impressive things and they can do what they love no matter what the stakes are. But people who have done none of those things, they can't even say yes when they're thirsty or when they're a little too cold. They refuse to get a sweater or something. Yeah, There are those I'm fine people. Yeah, but they're also saying, I'm not going to listen to my intuition. Yeah. I'd rather lay here like a lump than do what my intuition is telling me. Your intuition says go paint, you rather do the scroll. My intuition tells me to get a drink, I keep talking on camera. Right. These are people with weak intuition muscles. And usually they're people who over rely on their intellect, like you were talking about earlier, mind racing and overthinking everything, or they're people who over rely on their emotion. Oh, well, I felt this. So I decided that and <laughs> I felt this and I just did that. And it's like both of these over reliances are not how to navigate life. You weren't born a human and blessed with emotional intelligence and intellectual intelligence in order to squander them or misuse them or over rely on one or the other. You were put here to use them together, just like two arms or two legs or two eyes or whatever. They're meant to work together. And if you use them together, you'll have a great result, a great outcome. If you overuse one of them or over rely on one of them, like you get all out of balance and all out of whack and you get weird stress injuries and all kinds of stuff. You, you can't just do that. You have to balance things. You have to use them together, use them in tandem. And so our intuition muscles is our emotional intuition and our intellectual intuition or our logical intuition. Or you could say that one tool is our intuition, which is from our emotions and our body. And the other is from our intellect and our analysis. So analysis and intuition. I don't care how you label them. The point is they both got to be used well if you want to make a positive choice. Right. So when I get the impulse from my intuition or my heart or my instinct or my body to go get a drink, I could use some intellect. Well, it will be more efficient if I get a drink seven minutes from now because it'll coincide with my break time and my boss's break time and everything else. And then I'll get my drink and the world will benefit. Fine. But I could also overthink it. Well, true. But if I get it right now, then I'll be more hydrated to do better work for my last seven minutes. So maybe I should do it now and on and on and on. You can keep second guessing yourself and overthinking things. Mm -hmm. 
In the first case, maybe the intellect was helpful. In the second case, maybe not. Or maybe it was helpful in both cases. But it's an individual thing we all have to figure out for ourselves. And you don't figure it out by having a giant argument of who's right and how much thinking should we do and whatever. How do we figure it out? If we don't figure it out by talking and theory and... By doing. Yes, exactly. We do it by making mistakes, by getting the wrong intuition sometimes. Yes. The only way you strengthen your real muscles is by tearing them a little bit like having some stress put upon them. And the only way you strengthen your intuition is by putting it in some stressful intuition type places. Like what decision are you going to make? Right. Sometimes you touch the stove and my intuition was right. Well, wrong. Well, kind of right. Well, it was right one time, but I'm never doing that again. This is how you learn. Right. So can you see why doing what you love might feel hard, even though you know what it is you want to do? Yes. The choice still feels hard because of what? Because of your weak? The weak intuition muscles. Yeah. So, and which of us has stronger intuition muscles? You. Fine. But how far have you increased your intuition muscles since when we first met? Oh, a lot. Right. So if you hang around someone who's like a trainer or a coach or a mentor or just someone further ahead on their doing what they love journey, what happens? What happens if you hang around a better cook? Oh, well, I improve my my skills. Right. And what happens if you hang around someone who's really good at listening to their intuition and doing what they love and speaking their truth and setting their bell? No, I, I get really good at it. I've gotten much. I'm super good at uh, it now. I agree. You absolutely are. Yeah. I'm proud of you. And what happens if you hang around the opposite? What happens if you hang around people who keep ignoring their intuition, ignoring what they love, doing careers they don't love, having food they don't love, going to social gatherings they don't love? What happens to you and your intuition muscles? They atrophy because that's how it was before you when I lived with my ex. Like he hated his job and he hated all kinds of other stuff and was just an unhappy person. And so, I mean, I was too. We fed off each other. So yeah, you are who you hang out with. Exactly. So you can improve your intuition muscles by A, hanging out with people who are like you, getting really good at using their intuition and practice at it. Yeah. People who do what they love and make wise choices without over-relying on their emotions or over-relying on their intellect. Yeah. And thriving in life. Right. Or you can improve them by... More practice. Yes. Your own. Exactly. Yeah. Put yourself in those intuitive positions or those do-what-you-love positions and challenge yourself and see what you choose. Did you choose well? Did you choose wisely? Did you do what you love? Or did you settle for some bullshit? And every time we make a choice to do what we love, you can measure it. Can you tell if something is draining you or energizing you? Uh, Yes. So you can tell if you read a book, if it's draining you or energizing you. Yes. You can tell if you watch a show, if it's draining you or energizing you. Yes. You can tell if you're doom scrolling, whether that is energizing you or draining you. Yes. You can tell if you're creating art or helping a customer, whether that's draining you or energizing you. Yes. You can tell if interacting with your partner is draining you or energizing you. Yes. And it can change moment to moment. Yeah. Yeah. So you can always tell moment to moment whether something you're doing is draining you or energizing you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can. Right. And so can everyone. Even if they're rusty or out of practice, those are your intuition muscles. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if they're weak, they could still be trained and improved and strengthened. And if I showed you two people and one chose like 12 hours of draining choices a day, going to work drain them, commuting drain them, getting seeing the boss drain them, seeing their neighbors drain them, seeing their coworkers drain them, doing the work drain them, drinking the coffee at that place drain them. I feel drained by your example. Yeah. So that's person one. 
And then person two woke up when they wanted, pursued a hobby and a passion they loved, monetized it the best they could. Even though there were struggles and it was scary, they were still doing what they loved. They were happy to stay up late to work on it because they were getting energized all along the way. And then only once they went to a funeral they didn't want to go to and that drained them. But then they got back on the horse and started going back to work and working on their business and helping their relationship and yada, yada, yada. And they were proud of themselves and they were doing those things that energized them. Out of these two people, which one is going to have paradise in 10 years? Person doing what they love. And which person is going to have hell in 10 years? The one that's not. But who's responsible? Like, was anyone making this person choose the draining choice in every moment? Nope. Did someone force them to do all those things? Absolutely. And was anyone making this person like so effortless to make every intuitive choice? They just had the easiest path. <laughs> they never had to make a hard decision ever. Or did they both have these moments of doing what you love and intuition and one chose one way and one chose the other way? Yeah. No matter the stakes. Yeah. Right. But it takes practice. It takes balls. It takes courage. It takes strength. Yeah. And one of the things that helped me get better at this was seeing everything as doing what I love. Yes. There's no work. There's no play. There's just doing what you love or going against that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Brilliant. I mean, even the smallest, littlest choices I saw as this. And and so this is how I was able to get better and practice at it was. Like, uh, I'm going to go take a shower, but I don't feel like shaving my legs, so I'm not going to. But I want to do a mask on my hair, so that's what I'm going to do. Like, these little tiny weird that people wouldn't think of, oh, do what you love. This isn't doing what you love. It is. Because people think doing what you love is like this huge business thing that you're doing for yourself. It can be, but but not really. It gets to that after lots of little practice choices. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that you taught me this. Thank you, because it helped me understand not just do what I love, but it helped me do what I love. Like It seems like such an easy concept and like a no brainer. But so many of us are doing what other people want us to do and what other people love. Other people are putting their obligation on us and we let them. Well, that's a, another future question. That's yeah. <laughs> a good, good so, segue again. Anyway. OK, so, well, thank you so much. So we hear do what you love from gurus and artists and people all day long. But what if what I love is doom scrolling and smoking <laughs> smoking weed all day? Wow. <laughs> I mean, technically that's possible. Are the chances high that that's what you came to earth to do? Your soul wanted that? It's really truly what you love? Not not so much, but I'll, I won't discount it. Maybe someone out there watching, that's exactly what they're meant to do. But you know what? There are common activities people turn to once they've given up on what they love okay so a lot of people come here to be singers or artists or entrepreneurs or stay-at-home moms or whatever and when that dream encounters obstacles and it looks like they can't do what they love or it's hard to do what they love or they have to get out of their comfort zone to do what they love do you know what they turn to oh i had a hard day at singing auditions i couldn't get anything so i'm going to scroll and smoke weed ah yeah. I tried to be a good mom today, but I screwed up with the kids and my hu- husband's mad. So you know what I'm going to turn to? Yeah, I'm going to drink a bunch of wine and smoke some weed. Right. But you see how this is like a U-turn from what they love. Mm-hmm. What they really love is that other thing that they were focused on and that they wanted and they want to manifest it and they want to create it and realize it. And they had a setback mm-hmm. or maybe many setbacks. And so the thing they loved hasn't changed. It's still the thing you love. Right. Yeah. But you you U-turn, you pivot to some other bullshit activity. It's the opposite of what you love. I want to drink. Instead, I choose doom scrolling and I get more and more parched and dehydrated. What have I done? You 
pulled away from your drinking. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable to stop my momentum of doom scrolling and get out of my chair and go over to the other room and pour the drink. It's energy expenditure. It's calorie expenditure. And I already have inertia and momentum with my doom scrolling. It's much easier. Yeah, it's much easier to, to roll up and smoke than it is to work on the thing that's hard that I haven't been able to do. Right. But what do we say? Doing what we love is more likely to to have what? <laughs> Discomfort. Discomfort, pain, challenge, obstacles, getting out of your comfort zone, whatever. Right. Doing what we love is more likely to have that. Right. Yeah. So doing what you love is getting used to changing the momentum. It's getting used to changing the inertia. It's getting used to breaking out of the comfort zone. It's getting used to doing the hard thing that's not so habitually easy. Like if you're just nonstop mainlining drugs into your vein, the loving choice is to quit, <laughs> yep. pull back, cold turkey. But that feels hard. It feels hard to beat addiction. It feels hard to break free of that. Well, yeah, doing the loving thing always feels annoyingly hard because you have to stop your momentum. If I haven't been working out for a long time, you know what the loving thing to do is for me? Start working out? Yeah, obviously. I secretly want to do what I love. I want to be healthier. I want to be fitter. I dream of it. It's a reality I'd like to realize. Doing what I love, it is what I would love to do, but I have all these excuses and all these neuroses and all these concerns and all these worries and I already have inertia and I already have momentum here on the couch, just eating my Cheetos and flipping through Netflix. Right. It takes effort to go do what I love. Yeah. But that's what it always is, right? With I said person one, choose the draining choice every time. Yeah. So if I choose the draining choice, eat Cheetos, whatever, my weight just gets worse and worse. I get more and more unhealthy. I get further from what I love. Every time this is what happens. You either step up and choose the thing you love, even if that means stopping doom scrolling to quench your thirst in another room. I don't care. You got to do it. That's the choice. That's a doing what you love choice. Or you choose to let that momentum keep going. Don't do what you love. Don't move towards it. Pivot and go join some bullshit like consolation prize activity where you really just get further from what you love and it's even harder to get the thing you want next time yeah that's that's a good point too so yeah so this is what we call resistance there's always resistance between you and doing what you love mm -hmm. it will disappear as soon as you start doing what you love like it'll lessen and lessen and disappear entirely it does yeah yes this happens. You work out the first time, it's a bit hard. Mm -hmm. Next time, it's easier. Next time, it's easier. And the resistance goes away and lessens and lessens. Now, it's very easy to do what you love. Right. But it didn't start out that way. It started out with a baller choice where it was a bit tricky to do what you love. And you had to prove that you loved it. You had to show people that you loved it. And it's like, look, I really do. And I'm going to do this. And you made yeah. the hard choice. Right. So this resistance is all of our excuses. It's all of our worries and concerns and anxieties like, oh, but the room is so far away and I'm comfortable here or, but it didn't work out last time, yada, yada, yada. Oh, it's just not in my destiny. All this kind of stuff, right? And for someone who's do what you love really is smoking weed and doom scrolling, they will actually find a life of challenge on their way to that. It won't be easy to do that. Oh, I'll just do that tonight. It's so easy. I'll just turn away from my passionate career and just go smoke. Ah, so easy. For them, it'll be a challenge. Like right. since I was three, I really was obsessed with weed and I always wanted to smoke, but I was in a very conservative religion and they wouldn't allow it. And they watched me like a hawk and they were kind of abusive and, and they kept the camera on me and I could never do it and yada, yada, yada. And now I finally like stepped up and did what I love and I had to run away from home to do it. Like the people who really are meant to be doom scrolling and smoking weed or whatever as a, as a life path, as a career, mm -hmm. they will have to become better humans on the way to that. They'll have to learn discipline to succeed at that. It will be like a calling for them. So if my calling is to smoke weed and, and watch Netflix all day, that there will be some sort of uh, barrier. 
barrier between me and that. Resistance. And so if my dream or my purpose is to be here to help other people to be better and be happy in a shitty world, I'll have resistance to that. And you did. Yeah. You hesitated to do it. I pushed you towards it every time. You made every excuse not to do it. There was so much resistance and it was just much easier to not worry about getting rejected and not worry about contacting people. And I don't have to organize my contacts and I don't have to run a system and I don't have to learn marketing. It's much easier to pivot away from your calling and go smoke weed and doom scroll. Exactly the case. The thing on the on the easy side of resistance is the thing that keeps you there. It's it's like a bait or like a lure or like a siren's call. You're like, I'm about to break through the resistance. I'm going to go work out. And it's like, nah, just smoke weed or whatever. It's the thing that keeps you on the safe side of resistance. The thing you love is always calling you past resistance. Yeah. And if you practice this with your intuition muscles, you get really good. Oh, there's resistance. I'll, I'm going to tackle it. Oh, I don't feel like I did anything wrong. I should not say I'm sorry. Like I should, whatever. I should open my mind. I should see or hear the other person's side. That, those are the baller things to do. The safe thing is like, well, whatever. I didn't do anything wrong. I want to smoke it and doom scroll. You didn't become a better person for that. You didn't do what you love. What you really love was to stop being petty. And that's what was calling you on the other side of resistance. Mm -hmm. So Again, just to be clear, that whatever we want, there's resistance in between us and that thing. Yeah, there doesn't have to be. But for 99.9% .9 of people, there is. Okay. And the reason is life is a journey and we're supposed to start as like child blobs and we're supposed to grow and mature and become full, wholesome, healthy, hearty human beings. Right. And that journey of growth doesn't happen when there's zero resistance and you just like, oh, this is my past life path. There's zero stories and zero nothing. And I just... Uh, succeeded. That's not how you become a better human. There's no challenges. There's no character growth. There's no nothing. Every human being is here to live their story. But a story has conflict. A story has obstacles. A story has challenges. A story has resistance. Mm -hmm. And a story has an awesome reward of doing what you love that you get when you step up past resistance. I make a habit of doing this. I aim to step up past any resistance I have. I had resistance recently about relaxing or trying herbs or something. And mm -hmm. since I had the resistance, I'm like, okay, I'm trying it. I'm committing to it. And I committed to it. Like invested time in it, invested money in it, took advice from people on it, like started my own tracking system. I'm very careful and disciplined with my experiments. I don't like to F with them at all. Like yeah. but th there was a lot of resistance for me at, at first. Like it's not common for me. I have inertia not experimenting with any substances and just living supernatural and pure. Yeah. To do that is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like against my entire life philosophy or whatever. But whatever. I felt resistance. It must be calling me to a better place. I'm at least going to give it the time of day. I'm going to put my hand close to the burner. Like I'm at least going to get close. Okay. So I have a question. So are you saying then the things we have resistance are calling us? Mm -hmm. um, is that always or, or no? No. Okay. I'm just saying you asked what if my calling and doing what I love is doom scrolling and smoking. Right. Weed. And it might be here and there moment to moment. Maybe it's like when you get cold, you need a little bit of warmth, but you don't need to live in warmth or live in a volcano or never go outside or whatever. Right. So with weed and doom scrolling, maybe you need a little bit because mm -hmm. after too much stimulation, you need some unwinding or something. Right. Fine. Whatever. But if you think your calling or career or what you're supposed to do 12 hours a day is doom scroll and smoke weed, <laughs> I'm saying it's a good sign that if that's easy to do for you, ah, so easy, it's easy yeah. then it's probably on the safe side of resistance. It's not calling you through life and it's keeping you in your comfort zone and you'll never get past the resistance. The thing that's actually calling you is on the other side of resistance, like put the weed away, go build a career. Or put the weed away, step up for your family, or put the weed away, Okay. yada, yada, yada. 
and it's calling you through all your bullshit excuses and neuroses and I can't do this and this is not meant for me and this is hard and this was a failure. Like that's all resistance bullshit. Yeah. Oh, it's just easier to smoke weed. I guess I need this now. Someone who's stepping through resistance is like, nah, I don't care about this setback. I'm learning from this and I'm going to do better tomorrow. No, I'm going to be do better tonight. I'm not doom scrolling or smoking weed. I'm tackling this again. Like this is a baller. This is someone who's doing what they love. You can tell. I can't even believe like it's a conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I got you. And, like, it seems obvious. It, it does, but... Embarrassingly obvious. Well, you know, this is something I struggled with for a long time. Well, me too. But I mean, when it's put out in words, black and white, it should be obvious. It is. Yeah. It is. But um, I'm just thinking, like, what you just said about the resistance. and Because I've had a lot of resistance for marketing. And it makes sense that if that's what I want to do and there's resistance, then I need to go towards it instead of the easy way is to go do squirrel and smoke weed. Cause that's, that's easy. I'm saying do that. It's going to make you a better person. No, but getting through my neuroses and going through and, uh, getting past the resistance to do the marketing. This has been super helpful for me. So, all right. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I had resistance to being calm in league of legends, huge resistance. But I did it. I went towards it. Okay. I treated it like a job. I had resistance to this new experiment. So I went towards it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I had resistance to working out in the park yeah. at first. So I went towards it. Yeah. Well, that is a fresh view on taboos, my love. <laughs> and uh, speaking of fresh views on taboos, I have Eyes Wide Open Volume 1. We are giving away our book in PDF form if you go to eyeswideopenfree.com. We are giving it away. We want to give it to you because we don't make any money. Actually, we lose money off of the actual book. And because it's the world's first self-help coffee table book, it's one of a kind. And it has all those fresh views on taboos that we talk about here on the podcast. And every concept in this book helped me transform my life from heroin addict and miserable human being with full of anxiety and depression to the happy-go-lucky positive girl you see before you who is clean. Anyway, we love you. Thank you so much. The book is yours. Go get it. The link is in the description. This is the people-pleasing part I told you about in the beginning. So I finally figured out to do what I love. But then my mind was full of shoulds. I should clean the house. I should do the dishes. I should go and call my kids. I should, I should, I should, I should. So, Jay, how can I do what I love and still do what I should do? Another epic question. I'm not surprised. Thank you. And first, let me ask you, well, have you ever met somebody who puts their mind on many goals and pretty much stops them, but doesn't really care about others. Like they're the opposite of a people pleaser. Yeah, I've met a couple of people like that. Yeah. And have you also ever met someone who has many goals, but accomplishes almost none of them and at a snail's pace because they're so busy caring about other people and what others think and what others want them to do? Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people like that too. Okay. So what does this mean to you, right? We have one example where the non-people pleaser selfishly does what he wants and accomplishes every goal on earth. And we have the total people pleaser who accomplishes none of their goals. Like it's it's a joke. Like honestly, their life is a shambles. Yeah. What does this mean about people pleasing and doing what we love? So from your example, I would take that the person who doesn't care what other people think and is kind of cold. And does what they love. And that they do what they love. They're not a people pleaser. People pleasers are doing what other people love. 
what other people want. And the non-people pleaser is doing what they love and they don't care what other people think. Yeah, that may be so. But doesn't that sound like you just encourage people to do what they love by being cold and uncaring and accomplishing <laughs> their goals? That doesn't sound like the sin I know, but... No, no, but... So what's what's up with that? Because if you're people-pleasing, you care about what other people want you to do, you're not doing what you love. You're doing what other people love and you're never going to have the thing that you want. I mean, and, and so I don't think you need to be cold about it. I don't think, but people but think- people will call you cold. People call me cold. Yeah. They call me cold. Like, and I'm like, that's, I'm the furthest. I'm the warmest, most nurturing, loving person. But if you don't please them, what are they going to fire at you? That I'm cold. Yeah, this is what I hear. But even if you're not cold, yeah. are they coming from an unbiased, objective place? No. They've assessed all cold people everywhere and they've determined that you fit right in with the cold ones? Or are they firing back some bullshit because you didn't people please? They're firing back BS because I am people, please. Okay. But then what if many people think you're cold? Like a lot of people thought Steve Jobs was cold. Yeah. He wasn't a people pleaser, but he accomplished his dreams quite well. True. He was cold. A lot of people think Trump is cold. He wasn't a people pleaser, but he accomplished quite a few of his, his goals. Yeah. yeah. True. So what does this mean? Right? Isn't this an interesting discussion, an interesting riddle? Like, so you, Tim, from what you outlined- I'm hesitant to say being cold is going to get you what you want and it's going to help you do what you love. But I don't think so because I I think that you can be a warm person and loving and kind and do what you love and, and achieve your goals. I don't think you need to be cold. Yeah, I agree with you too. But that is kind of where our conversation has led us though. It looks looks that way, right? Yeah. Okay. So yes. So it looks that way. But what have I taught you so many times when you see two extremes? If you see extreme liberalism and extreme conservatism, what is likely available? There's always a third way. Right. If you see extreme feminism and extreme masculinism or chauvinism or whatever, what is likely available? There's a third way. Okay. And if you see extreme cold, uncaring goal achievement and dream realization versus doormat level people pleasing where you accomplish nothing, what is likely available? A third way. Exactly. <laughs> you okay. see? Yes. So so maybe it's okay for me to people please by going to that funeral, showing up and representing, even though I didn't really want to. Mm -hmm. But only as long as I spent the other 14, 16 hours of my day doing what you love. Yeah, exactly. Right? Maybe you can skate by with the occasional people please as long as the majority of your time is doing what you love. Fair enough. But most people have that reverse. They're so afraid of being cold and uncaring that they're ending up like uh, our one example here, but they won't even stand up for themselves on a single issue. They won't set a single boundary. They won't skip a single social gathering. They won't yeah. do what they love. Yeah. They won't stay up late and work on their project. They won't quit their job and do what they love. They won't they won't do anything. They won't even take a drink when they're thirsty right. because it might disturb someone in the kitchen or something. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to disturb someone. Right. So there's what's the third way then? Will you tell me? Well, kind of like what I said, where you can do what you love and be warm and kind and loving and still hit your goals. Sure. But like no matter how warm and kind and loving you are, if you're not people pleasing certain folks, they're going to fire something back at you. So there's no escaping that. No, there's not. Unless you're willing to people please everybody. <clears throat> you, no, you, you have to decide. Are you willing to give people up? People please the, everyone. Yeah. People please everyone. And or, give up your dreams. Yeah. Or? Or stop 
and set a boundary and do what you love. Yeah. And when you do that, when you set up a boundary and you do what you love and you do it in a loving and kind place, again, the people that you don't people please anymore will still call you cold and heartless because they call me that. Yeah. I'm a warm and loving, nurturing person. But when you set a boundary, you also find out who your real friends are. That's true too. Most people don't know who their real friends are. Yes. Because they never set a boundary. If you're not setting a boundary, how do you know? How do you know they're not just fair weather friends? How do you know they won't dip as soon as you stand up for yourself and set a boundary? How do you know they won't leave as soon as you do what you love? I lost a ton of friends when we started collaborating in the beginning because I started to do what I love and I showed off who I was and I, I just stopped people pleasing them and everyone else on my social media. And I lost a ton of friends. I'm not friends with half of those people that I, that I used to talk to. Yeah, what do you think is more common? Doing what you love, leading to complete joy and people-pleasing for your current circles, or doing what you love leads to breaking free of old circles, leveling up, and ending up labeled or written off by some of those past people. Yeah. That, right. Yeah. So it's a good sign that you're doing what you love mm -hmm. if people are jumping ship. Yeah, agreed. If they're labeling you, if they're showing their judgment. Mm -hmm. But- yes. If everyone's happy with you all the time and no one's judging you and no one has anything to say and there's no haters and there's no resistance and there's no one trying to pull you back, are you doing what you love? Is it no. likely that you're doing what you love? No, you're not. You're probably not. No. And you can fool yourself and say you are, but you're not. Because if you're doing what you love for real, someone, someone in your life is angry about it. Yeah. If you haven't lost a customer or a friend recently, I'm a little nervous for you. Yeah. Like, Same. honestly. There's 8 billion people in the world and you're going to keep making new friends, new people, new customers, hundreds, you know, 50, 10, 20, hundreds, whatever. Yep. But you're also going to always be losing one or two here or there yes. who don't jive, who can't get on board, who can't agree, who can't see your side, who need to label you, who need to point fingers at you, who become haters. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to go through life setting your boundaries and watching who your real friends are because the other fake ones will leave. It's true. So to do what you love, you need to be much closer to this side of getting labeled and cold and uncaring than to this side of being a people-pleasing doormat who barely achieves their own dreams. Yeah, because if we... Like there is a middle way, but it leads towards this. I agree. Yeah, because people-pleasing is not the way to get your goals. People-pleasing isn't going to help you do what you love. Like this is clear to me now. Like if you really, really want to do the things you love, you're going to have to let go of those people. Yeah. And let go of people pleasing. When we were little, we learned that people pleasing gets us allowance. People pleasing gets us late bedtime. People pleasing gets us extra food or treats or desserts or something. And so fine for a baby that can't move or feed itself. Maybe people pleasing is a reasonable strategy and it helps you get some of your dreams. It right. helps the baby get some of its dreams. But if you're a full grown adult and you're still behaving in your people pleasing baby ways, trying to get the world to give you extra stuff because you pleased people, uh, you've lost the plot. Like this is not the strategy. This right. is not the stage of life you're in. You're in the step up, be a baller, set boundaries and let the chips fall where they may stay. You're in the do what you love and let real friends show up way. Yeah. You're in the do what you love, even if I have to be alone way. Like you're in the baller stage of life, right? Not the baby stage of life. True. People pleasing was okay as a toddler. It's not now. Great. Great. And as we get older and we stop people pleasing, it feels so good. Like in, when I was in high school, I didn't do anything anyone wanted me to do. I was a horrible teenager. But if I look back on it, I was making a lot more choices of doing what I loved back then when I was horrible than I, I was later after I became an adult and I was a mom. And, and Then you made like none. Yeah, really. 
I, I mean, I took, I would take a few baby steps and do something, but then someone else would like some, like, so my very first business was making jewelry and my first husband was very supportive of this unless it was in his way for watching football or going to a game or whatever. Then it wasn't. And then I people please. So yeah, that's a common occurrence too. Your career or your hobby or your passion is calling you and there's resistance like jewelry making or having my own business is calling me. But do you pivot? Oh, I'll just doom scroll. I'll just get a job. I'll just give up. I'll just smoke weed. I'll just listen to my husband. Or do you go through the resistance to what you love? Do you step at your comfort zone, step past the momentum, the inertia, and like start building your business? And when a setback happens, do you commit to it? Or do you just pivot to something else, something easier, something shinier, something more distracting? If you go to succeed on YouTube, do you commit to succeed on YouTube? Or you just pivot to Facebook or Instagram or threads or Twitter or X or whatever. Like, oh, I'll just it's probably easier on TikTok. I heard people are blowing up there. Did you commit to what you love? You chose YouTube initially. Why? Because you like being on camera or because it spoke to you or it was your instinct. Now you're invested in it and you have time in it. Are you going to commit and like make that thing work? Or are you going to pivot? And only you know what the right choice is. But a lot of the time, the hard thing to do, like committing, is the right thing that will get you to what you love and the easy pivot like oh well whatever this keeps me comfortable will keep you away from what you love forever it's a common thing so well thank you so much and i'm just very very grateful for everything you've taught me so that i am no longer doing those things for other people and i'm okay with being labeled as gold because i know the truth i know everything i do every choice i make is out of love and kindness in my heart and I'm not people pleasing other people now and they're annoyed with me and that's okay. They can be annoyed. I still love them. But thanks. <laughs> Yay. So when we met, I was doing eBay and I was doing pretty good business, but I really wanted to do something different, something more. But I just had this feeling of I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I have no value to offer the world. So how does somebody who feels like that do what they love to be successful? Good question. And let me ask you, have you ever read any biographies or stories where someone wants to do something and they have all odds stacked against them, but they do it anyway and it's really inspiring? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever read any stories or biographies where someone faces obstacle after obstacle and overcomes each one? And every time you think they're almost there, there's another one, but they eventually get it and it's really inspiring. Yes. And how about any stories where a person was worthless and unskilled and a loser and had nothing to offer the world, but eventually they'd step up and shine and they take over the stage and everybody's impressed or whatever. Yeah. Okay. The people in those stories are examples of people who believe in themselves and believe in what they're doing and their goal. They believe it's meant to be and that there's a path for them to get there, even if it has obstacles. And because they have such strong belief, they persevere and achieve it. Right. It's also examples of people who don't let identities and labels stop them. They don't cling to the old identities. They don't think, oh, my identity is as a worthless person, so I can't do X, Y, Z. Instead, they just say, you know what? I don't care what people say or what excuses there are. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. The identity part is left out. They don't say, oh, I'm just a mom. I can't do ABC. Instead, they say, mm, I'm going to do ABC anyway. The identity part is left out. They don't have shitty beliefs like, well, it's just not in the cards and fate doesn't want me to have this. God doesn't want this for me. Instead, they're like, I believe in myself. If I have this desire or this dream, God gave it to me. Like somehow I got up the inspiration towards this item or this desire or this thing. And gosh darn it, I'm going to achieve it. 
I believe in it. I'm going to make my way towards it. Yeah. They don't just randomly insert misbeliefs. So this is reason five why people can't do what they love because they're constantly throwing misbeliefs into the gears or they're clinging to old identities. If you have an old identity as just a worker, how are you going to be an entrepreneur? You can't because you're so about being just a worker. Yeah. Unless you let go of that identity and stop calling yourself just a worker and instead say, I'm an entrepreneur in the making. I'm a successful businessman. You guys just haven't seen it yet. It's unfolding. It's happening. Right. right? If you claim a new identity that serves you, okay. Or have no identity at all. I don't know what's going to happen, but I like moving towards this goal of a thriving business. So I'm going to move towards it. I don't care what people say, right? You see how it's much easier to do what you love if you have healthy beliefs that support you, you believe in your stuff, and you have identities that support you, or at least you don't have old identities that are holding you back. Right. It's a game changer. Yeah. Imagine you see yourself as not a marketer, or you see yourself as a poor person, or you see yourself as valueless, or you see yourself as minimally valuable, like any of these things. Right. If that's how you identify, how are you going to do what you love? Do what you love is a thriving, successful business. Yes. All your identities are the opposite of a thriving, successful <laughs> business. Yeah. A thriving, successful business is a marketer. They are an entrepreneur. They are a successful business person. They are abundant and prosperous. They do have clients. They identify as a valuable person serving society, creating jobs, helping the economy. They identify in a positive way. And that lines up with doing what you love. If you have all these old identities, you're screwed, man. It's a nightmare. How are you going to ever manifest or realize or create your dreams, right? Or as soon as you want something, I want to reunite with this person, or I want to have positive interactions with so-and-so. Great goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they'll never change and <laughs> it probably won't happen. And right. it's just not in the cards. What's the point of even talking? Like your beliefs are shooting your dreams down instantly. They're brutal. You could believe, well, anything can, can happen. It, it's possible. I'm learning a lot about human behavior. I'm going to study this. Maybe I'll master it. Maybe I'll write a tutorial to help other people for it. Who knows? What if? What if good things happen? Not what if bad things happen? You can choose whatever beliefs you want, but most people have misbeliefs that don't serve them. Most people cling to old identities that don't serve them. And those things are like anchors weighing you down and will never let you do what you love in the moment with like quenching your thirst or in the long run with choosing a career or a relationship. All right. So then just again, to be clear, you're saying person who has these thoughts of I'm just a stay at home mom or I like who cares about what I have to offer or any of this weird negative. Things. Yeah, I'm too old. Yeah. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. Like, uh, it's too late for me to start. Well, we saw a thing on Reddit recently. It was like 25 year olds like, it's too late. Just too, it's too late for me. Like, what? Yeah. I could list thousands of misbeliefs and old identities that people have, right? I could fill a whole book, like a dictionary. Of course. But they're all the same. They all sound the same. Like, right. yada, yada, yada. I can't. So I won't. I'm not. I can't, it's not, blah, 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 blah. But you're saying that we have to let go of that stuff so that we can do what we love, right? Yeah. And, and so how do you suggest that we do that then? Like, well, letting go feels hard and there's resistance. Yeah, yes. But guess what? Letting go is how you step up past the resistance and get what you love. Right. I don't care how uncomfortable it is. This must be done. Or you can keep pivoting like- Okay, so so to get over yeah. the hurdle, yeah. to get to do the yeah. thing, yeah. then we just have to do it then. 
right? So I mean, like in my example, my example was I was doing eBay and I felt like I was just a stay-at-home mom and I wanted to start my own business because eBay is a business, but not really. It's their platform. So so if I had just done that before we met, this would be a way to get past the that I'm only a stay-at-home mom. I have no value. Yeah, that's one way. Okay. But there's lots of ways. Like you can start gentle and, and instead of saying, I'm just a stay at home mom, you could say, I'm a proud stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. Now you're taking the just out and your identity is slightly better. It right. still won't get you what you love, but it's progress. No, but yeah, it's progress. At least it's how you feel. a proud stay at home mom might be able to succeed in a yeah, small yeah. side business. Right. Yeah. So it's better. And if, if you take it even further and instead just say, momming is one thing I happen to do. Now you're in a great position to achieve what you want. Momming is one thing I happen to do. My business is another thing I happen to do. Like you've abandoned identity entirely. There's no identity in there. You're just proclaiming realities. Yes. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. Yoga and fitness is another thing I happen to do, and I do them all quite well. At first, it was a bit tricky to balance my schedule, but I've become good at time management. I studied them. Like, you just embrace okay. new ideas and new identities, have new beliefs. You don't have to repeat over and over on just a stay-at-home mom who has no value. Like, <laughs> right? I get you. So but people you're do that. saying, but, but it's, it's mindset stuff, and so it's the way we talk to ourselves. If I had changed my talk to, I'm a proud stay-at-home mom, I can organize like no one else's business. I run a homeschool, multiple grade homeschool. Yeah. I'm a co-op teacher. Now you, have your, um, yeah. now you can have your successful business because you have a proper healthy identity that supports you. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. Sure. Yeah. But you had to do it. It takes work. It still feels uncomfortable. It's much easier to just say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. It's much easier to repeat the habit. Yeah. Inertia and momentum makes things easier. And to get over the hump takes some discomfort or some challenge or some effort. It's how you strengthen your intuition muscles. Right. My intuition is telling me to stop talking like this and claim a better identity. And it's not just mindset stuff. A lot of people do the mindset stuff, but their emotions are all haywire. They don't feel excited for life. They're not happy. They aren't enthusiastic. They're not passionate. Their emotions are so low that even if they had the world's best beliefs and mindset, there'd be zero juice. Like yeah. nothing would make progress. And some people have their mindset and emotions covered, but they're neglecting their body. And they have a whole bunch of trapped trauma and trapped tension and they're not relaxed and they're crunchy AF. And that prevents a lot of their manifestations. Like if they would work out or relax or try a new substance or do something, take care of their body, eat a better diet, hydrate more, something, things would unkink and unwind. They could do some somatic experiencing, some somatic therapies and release the blockages. And I'm telling you, like this can be a game changer for manifestations, mind, emotions, and body. Because our identities can hide anywhere. You can say all the right things, but still feel like a stay-at-home mom inside. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Thank you for mentioning that. Well, you helped me change my life. You taught me all this. Like The things we talk about on the podcast are just drops in the bucket of the conversations that we have had over the years and the things you've taught me. And this is why we started the podcast, because I wanted to bring this to other people. And, and like, I didn't understand how deeply that I didn't understand <laughs> to what do what you love really means. And like, I feel like the first four years of, real, of our relationship was training for this last year, because this has been a very interesting year for us with, you know, starting the podcast and breaking up and not missing a day of our podcast. Consistency is important to me. And 
And it's because I'm doing what I love. And so even if I'm annoyed or you're annoyed or whatever, it's the most important thing we do is to do what we love and do what feels best. Even if if you go do what you love and it annoys me, I really can't be upset with you because you're doing the right thing for you and vice versa. And I would expect you to be supportive if I do it too. I've demonstrated that some. I know. I know. I know. But they don't. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for your help and helping me to get to this place, this level 20. (laughs) I feel like that's where I am now with my personal development. I aim to be at level like a bajillion, but I'm only at level 20. And so I'm happy that our audience gets to see my journey and that I'm also on the same journey they are. So thank you so much for all your help and your love and your teaching. It's you're the best. You're the best. So, okay. I just have one last question. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our wonderful audience? Yes. We covered five reasons you can't or struggle to do what you love. Being unclear on what that even means. Having weak intuition muscles and not practicing them. Indulging resistance to doing what you love. People pleasing and shoulds and obligations over doing what you love. Like deprioritizing yourself. Mm -hmm and clinging to old identities and misbeliefs. And there's a reason do what you love is the most common advice from pretty much any successful person ever. I think when I was collaborating with Evan, he tallied up all of the mentions in all of his videos and do what you love or follow your bliss or follow your passion was the most common advice. And whether we're talking about a Hollywood celebrity, a small business owner, a hermit on a mountain or a stay-at-home mom, all of them thrive when they do what they love. And I mean, practice it moment to moment, following their intuition every second. This is because life and nature and the universe is designed to work well and reward us when we follow our flow and do what we love the same way babies and animals do. They know following their heart's calling is the path to a fulfilling life. And it's how we grow fastest and become the best version of ourselves. And abandoning that feels like a punishment. That's when things go wrong, terribly, terribly wrong. And we can tell if we're doing what we love the same way we can tell whether anything drains us or energizes us. Even if we're rusty, the sensitivity can be trained and practiced. So you can fight it or resist it or argue or disagree with me all you want, but doing what you love is a law like gravity. It is not up for debate. And just like gravity, you can either leverage it and use it well and benefit and blossom from it. Gravity can do some very powerful things for us, or you can fight it, resist it, or claim ignorance of it, and then watch as gravity turns you into a splat on the ground. The same thing goes for doing what you love. To me, it seems like a really easy choice. And for a rise rebel like you, I'm sure it's the same. Choose wisely. You got this. And that's why our book and this podcast are called Eyes Wide Open. And after today, you'll know the five reasons of why you haven't been able to do what you love, but you can now. And If you watch this video here about love and fear, it will help you to stop sucking at life and it will help you to keep your eyes wide open. Keep rising.